Welcome to Disney Animation Minute Essentials, where we are going through Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs one minute at a time. I'm Kestra Dorowski. And I'm Andrew Dorowski. And we are again for this Thursday episode joined by Joseph Dorowski. Hello, everyone. We are covering Minute 39 today, which begins with Grumpy and Doc continuing their argument. It's close to a fight. Like, they get fists up. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Though I feel like Grumpy doesn't take much (laughs) to get the fist raised from him. He's simmering at that point, always. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And it ends with with all of the other dwarves, except for Doc, correcting Doc on saying apple dumplings. Because he, how did he say it in his... Apple... Dapple, dapple, umplings, something, pumpkins, dapple umpkins. Yeah, and then tomorrow he says it again. He, but yeah, it, after they correct him, he still gets it wrong. He's like, yes, and then he says something else. Yeah, I think it's dapple umpkins. Yeah. That that one is crapple dumpkins. Oh right, right. I <laughs> yes. remember that. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, how? Okay, so in this minute. They they know that Snow White's the princess now, and they're asking her questions. But Grumpy's like, no, she can't stay, right? And then she's like, please let me stay. The, she'll kill me. And she mentions the queen that will kill her. Mm-hmm. Grumpy says a bunch of different stuff about the queen. Um, he says, yeah, a, a few things. And the, all the other dwarfs, they're like, she's wicked, she's bad. She's uh, mean. Mighty mean and an old witch. That's uh, Grumpy said. Call her an old and, witch. And he yes. says she could be invisible here, here right, right now, now in this room. Yes. yes, he seems to know the most about the magic that she can. I dare say you'll find that Grumpy probably knows the quote unquote most about a lot of things. <laughs> yes, but why? <laughs> like why we've covered this, it? but why? Why does he? He seems so. S- concerned and scared about the queen being there mm-hmm. at that very moment and about her possibly being invisible. Right. Because he had a bad experience. Yeah, exactly. Is like, this why he hates all women? Yeah. His only experience with women was, was the, queen. the queen. Was the queen cursing him to to be or, grumpy and dig in the mine. Right. Or, or I mean or even or just whatever it just like be. whatever the interaction yeah. like ignoring your your wonderful headcanon that I adore <laughs> and I accept. Yes. Like even if it was just his only interaction with a woman ever was the queen, that's why he thinks all women are full Probably of like are wicked queen. wiles. Um Yeah, I don't know. I so I, I think we also need to ask, is Grumpy as part of his general surliness just like also conspiracy theorists that's assuming the worst of everyone around them that they're out to get him personally? Uh or is, is there any foundation for this? Like, is the queen running some sort of Orwellian Big Brother dystopian kingdom? Definitely. <laughs> no hesitation on that. <laughs> like, he is 100% like, she always knows what's going on. And then he he dives into the, she could be invisible here right now. So, somehow, whether or not she's invisible, she always knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so maybe he knows about so the mirror? Instead of Big Brother always watching, it's Evil Queen is always watching. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. So yeah, it could be the, through the mirror. Yeah. Uh, would be if, he, if he knew about the she, mirror. We, we know, we don't have any evidence in the film of her turning invisible, but we do have her being so transformed she's unrecognizable as herself. Yes. So, um, elusive and infiltrative. Yes. Um, I guess as part of this, 
how many people do we know exist in this kingdom? Like, can we, we can probably list them all. You got the seven dwarfs. The huntsman, the queen, and Snow White. The slave in the mirror may or may not count. And the prince. He is not technically okay. part of this kingdom. So, I mean... He'd be a, a neighboring kingdom. What is that? Her kingdom might only consist of a dozen people, and in which case she could always know what's going on. But yes. Um, and there, Snow there White... There is a skeleton in the dungeon. That's right. Yes. So there's one fewer people. Right. Uh, and Snow White, she, when in the beginning of when we started in our first week, when we first started talking about this movie... Uh, Snow White is cleaning ev- like the palace. Right, so there's no and staff. There, and there doesn't seem to be anybody else there. Yes. Yeah. Which is significant for a question I have for the next minute when she's a okay. cook all of a sudden. Yeah. Uh, so so a, a palace with no staff, a queen and the princess, uh, seven cursed dwarfs, maybe uh-huh. cursed, cursed asterisks. Seven, seven dwarfs. And one huntsman who provides the food, I guess. That would be my guess. And if that really is the entirety of her kingdom, I think... Grumpy is right to assume she knows exactly what everyone's doing at all times. That's that's like a half day's work to kind of keep tabs. Yeah, <laughs> what's going on? But yet, we especially with the magic mirror. Yeah. Yes, uh, I I agree with that. However, we have talked about how the dwarfs also seem very cut off from the community and from socializing with maybe everyone there just else. Isn't one? Maybe there's no community for them to be cut off from. But where are they getting then, food? But where do they, they come trade from? with the huntsmen? Yeah. Where do they end up? You know, where do they even come from? Yeah. There's so many unanswered questions. I wish Walt Disney There's was here There's not a lot right of now. paths in the forest and things like that. Like, it's not a well-tread area. Right. So, there's a lot of stuff that's not quite clear. How, we don't see anyone else. How far away is the dwarf's cottage from the castle? Um, yeah, how far? Because uh, it's Snow White runs through the forest, forest. falls down a, a cliff out of nowhere, a, a gully, yeah. right? Lands in the water, Climbs and then out, and then the Climbs animals guide the her to, to, to uh, yeah, across a, an extra distance to the cottage. Now, but do we do we see her travel in like a continuous shot, or is it a cut? No, it's cut. So it's we don't we um, we have no idea of the distance. When the queen approaches the cottage, it is also cut, so we don't know how. She There's no approached. sense, okay, uh, of scale or, or distance mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, uh, I do still remain, even after dissecting this minute by minute for these last several minutes, there's a lot, a lot of, questions. of questions about the dwarves, per se, uh, dwarfs particularly, and how they, uh, sorry, I, I slipped in a V there instead of an F. It's okay. Uh, how they live, how they exist. Yes, <laughs> where their food comes from. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And we have those questions too. Mm-hmm. And we do not have those answers. I like this version uh, that the queen is this really cruel ruler of uh, less than a dozen subjects. <laughs> I mean, it's not an especially grand castle. Also, it it makes the question, who's the fairest in my realm? Just so much more, like, I'm really just worried about Snow White. There's there's two. (laughs) Yes, but uh, maybe when she first started ruling, there was a lot of people. And then when whatever happened to the king... Yeah, we don't know where the Is the king the skeleton in the dungeon? I am suspicious. (laughs) Because there's only one throne in the throne room, right? Yeah, it's just hers. Hmm. Yeah, I'm just gonna go ahead in my head cannon that that skeleton that she kicks a uh, cup at. I, I is think that she, she because can. also doesn't she kind of taunt the skeleton as she kicks the cup at it? What some water? Yeah, yeah. There's a personal relationship with whoever that was. Yes, I'd say that's accurate. Yes, and clearly at this point we can establish there were no guards that would have been loyal to the king, so she just did this right. coup herself. It's um, it's a mess. 
Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, sometimes dissecting a film minute by minute gives you just wonderful insights to how tight the narrative is. Sometimes it just makes you want to say this animation is amazing, but there are a few holes in the story. Yeah. Um, I think it's mostly a backstory that's missing altogether. Mm-hmm. And it makes me wonder if the animators and if Walt Disney had created some form of a backstory before, but or if they just kind of jumped right in from what they have for the Grimm's brothers. And I mean, you guys have referenced the Grimm brothers. Mm-hmm. It's not like that one's rich in backstory or explanation no. of these yeah. things either. Um, one one thing we discussed with I think it was with Crystal Beth um, a few weeks back was how this film jumps straight into basically Act Two. Like there is practically. No first act. The first act is like the reading of that one that, book. That book where it <laughs> sets up that Snow White is the scholarly maid. Which here's I, your introduction I, to the characters. I, I've realized is a like I thought it's like oh what a unique kind of thing to do. I'm like oh no wait this is Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Like it, having having text on screen to explain get up to speed. Here's what's happening and action. And in Star Wars it's you know a, a ship firing on another a space ship. battle happening. Yeah in in. Snow White, it's the queen saying, all right, mirror, let's hear the stuff. And and he says, um, yeah, you're not the fairest. Like, that's the queen's inciting incident. Um, and I was going to say, like, it is, is five minutes in. I, I think this gets translated in the Disney Renaissance, and I'm, I'm just doing this mentally. I haven't gone and rewatched these. But I think instead of doing the book opening, they do an introductory song, and then you're into the, a lot of the action um, quite often, where the song kind of establishes, here's the world, here's the characters. In some Like, like cases, Beauty and the Beast... Here's the, here's the characters. Oh, her dad has a, a narration. Oh, it does have, it does have a narration. It's right. a narration. But I was thinking of like introducing Belle. It's just through the song, yeah. the Bonjour. Um, in and then her dad's Tangled. captured right away. Entangled. It's a narration and then a song. Um, the, the song gives us the the current situation. The mm-hmm. the narration gets you, you know, why that situation exists, and then you get kind of her her personal qualities. So that's very much like Beauty and the Beast. In 18 years, when you guys get to Tangled, I want in. Okay. <laughs> you, do you want to call your minutes I, now? I, I don't know if, if we have the room. <laughs> that one's already scheduled out. <laughs> it's already um, filled in. We've got, do, do, do you want to claim your uh, your segment? I'll let us get a little closer. Okay. <laughs> in a um, decade, we can start talking. I'm trying to think um, a little uh, comparison of some of the other films. Um Frozen, not so much. That that opening song is uh, more along the lines of Lion King, where mm-hmm. it's a, a spectacle song. Yeah, it's a spectacle song, and then it goes into them as kids as before kids. it gets to the real story. So, right, so you get a full for a long. Yeah, Same you get, thing you with get a full third of the film before Moana doesn't have um, an op- like a, a song be- as it opens. Like, it has a like a vocalized um, song, but then it, um, it then it cuts into a story. But then it, yeah, a, I, a narrative which, story. But then it has that that song when of her growing of up. her growing up, which does help, and I think it kind of has that same co- yeah. sort of effect, but not exactly. But I would be interested to see one that does kind of this um, storybook thing, and then jump, you know, within a matter of minutes into Act Two. You know, mm-hmm. let's hit this inciting incident. Let's let's get Luke off the planet. Yeah. Uh, that sort of thing. Which in Star Wars, it's way longer than you realize. Yeah. <laughs> like we, when, when, you, when you listen to Star Wars Minute and they go minute by minute, you're like, wow. Yeah. This is a while. Uh-huh. Um, or in uh, Lord of the Rings, it well, takes an hour. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have a two-year-old who loves Chewbacca. And mm-hmm. 
he like he, he'll watch all of that opening, but you can tell like he's just waiting for Chewbacca to come, and it's like forty five minutes into the film before <laughs> Chewbacca makes his first appearance at Mos Eisley. Anyway, we're we're yeah, off well <laughs> off, but I mean it, it's about like the structure of the story and the the backstory. Um, they don't need to fill in that backstory because they've jumped, you know, into the action, mm-hmm. and and that is when you don't care about this backstory is because you're in the action, you're already already hooked in. If they, if for example with Star Wars, if they had somehow narrated up to Moss Eisley Cantina. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, within 10 minutes, you are seeing laser fire on the Falcon. They're getting chased by Star Destroyers. That's, I, I, that's kind I, of what, what's that, happening. That's with comparable Snow White. to this where you get to Snow White in the field running away from the, the Huntsman. Within, well, how long is this film? I mean, you've got, you've got 83 minutes. I mean, it's so compressed, the storytelling. It's, yeah, it is, it is definitely compressed storytelling. So I don't know, you know, I, I don't know if it'd be as engaging to mm-hmm. jump in and have Snow White's mother. Um, and, and Which the they were originally and, supposed to have yeah. first moments with Snow White's mother before she she, dies. she appears in the Grimm's version. Um, it's before Snow White's birth. But even without all this backstory, without going through the movie minute by minute, there is still fulfillment in the whole story mm-hmm. as a whole. Uh, I was going to say something else. Well, I was just going to note that, it, I mean, it moves so quickly that when you're watching the movie, you don't notice the lack of backstory. It's when you are stopping to go minute by minute. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you're having a whole conversation about the, the, the dwarf house so that you start to ask some questions that the movie itself moves so quickly you don't really notice. Um, I was going to say that they they were really concerned uh, overall um, with how this film would be uh, taken by the audience because um, a lot of Hollywood thought that it was going to just be the end of Walt's career because yeah they were they were publishing articles about how awful it was called Walt's was. Folly wasn't it mm-hmm. and uh, I think a big portion of why it is sh- short is because of that um, because they didn't want it to go on too long mm-hmm. they didn't they they still wanted it to be a full length feature so they wanted it to be longer than just like a short film that they've usually been doing with Mickey Mouse. And the Silly Symphonies. Uh, and then they they wanted a longer film, but not too terribly long. And films back then weren't t- terribly long anyways. Mm-hmm. And helping, and I think with it jumping straight into the plot and straight into the inciting incident, then it, it helped with that as well. Because then people weren't just watching this animation and weren't feeling a little bit of lack in... It, um, and felt like it was a waste of their time. I mean, also, I mean, it, we've noted, and I've heard everything that's posted so far, it's, it's always noted by your guests that, like, this looks amazing, but there were budget constraints they were working under, and by shortening it and tightening it, you make everything look great that you're putting on screen mm-hmm. uh, that might have been stretched too thin if you were adding, like, a longer first act. Right. What, what scene was it that they were working on until the very last minute? Um... Do you remember? Oh, there was one of the featurettes had um, like a like a recall sheet for a sequence that they needed to refilm, like re- redo the the frames on. And it was like, and it might not have even been completed by the time of the premiere. It was, I, I can't remember either. Um, it it would have been like a like a two minutes of film, um, yeah. somewhere. But- and it, they were working on making sure that it was going to be perfect, and if it wasn't what Walt wanted, they sent. He'd oh, send he would back always too. send things back. They, um, when they would do I, like the equivalent of um, 
in in traditional filmmaking they called the dailies mm-hmm. um and they called it the sweat box mm-hmm. because the animators would be sweating over whether their animation was good enough to be accepted good enough to be sent back or so bad that it was cut entirely also right. because it was a small space and yeah, it was, it was a, not air conditioned a small tight and they would fit space. Walt and a couple of animators and, and a couple like another producer or two mm-hmm. um and and they would you know get there like go ahead or it's like no do it all over again um in that box and they, it was torturous <laughs> yeah, i mean in some ways it sounds almost kind of uh and i mean this is another iconic business genius but it sounds like working for steve jobs um in some of the stories that you hear of like taking things to him and if it I wasn't think, i think you can make it simpler if, if it wasn't exactly what he wanted he's like no <laughs> you know and yeah. you you yeah i know you've worked on this design for months at this point but no we go back to square one and make it you know yeah the the virtue is in absolute quality not relative time or anything mm-hmm. like that and yeah. if you can't you know achieve that quality you can't be part of it <laughs> which sounds i mean extremely demanding yes. uh and as you i mean it was called the sweatbox like uncomfortable like like emotionally uncomfortable at times i'm sure but the end result can be magical when you have that kind of demand yeah and upon. and while by all accounts took care of everyone after the premiere he you know gave everyone the the bonuses pay raises um positions <laughs> Once he actually had money <laughs> yeah you know he he did everything he could to take care of them until the premiere. And then when it was successful, you know, he did an extra big party afterwards and, and, and he built the everyone... Burbank studio. So they had better equipment and better. Yeah. Uh, I, I, room. I don't, I doubt they had the same kind of sweat box. Yeah. Afterwards. But they still called it a sweat box. Yeah. Because, because that's the experience. what it was. Right, yeah. Um, but he, he took care of everyone as soon as he could until he could, he demanded everything they had. Right. And if he hadn't, it, certainly may have well been Walt's folly and we wouldn't have Disney today. Mm-hmm. I I think um, it's important to remember like how deeply he was invested. He was at much greater risk than anyone else. Um, you know, if it failed, he is beyond the sweat box. He is. His brother and his wife didn't believe that it was going to work. Yeah. Like he, he barely had support. Right. I mean, it's, like, this ended up being, obviously, like, the financial boon for mm-hmm. generations, of, you know, for him. But it would have been also, like, generational economic ruin. <laughs> like, yeah. below square one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Below the starting line if it had failed. And then, I mean, there wouldn't have been feature-length animated features for who knows how long. Yeah, someone, would, someone else was Someone like, would risk it. Yeah, because it wouldn't just be that no one else was doing it. It would be, like, the, the when Hollywood thinks something is broken for audiences, they don't go revisit it very mm-hmm. willingly. And it's, it's again, different because this is a personal endeavor instead of a studio endeavor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's Walt's word <laughs> up yeah. against everything. And there were little pockets of, of joy. Like, there was an occasion when uh, one of the, the bankers that was investing, or one of the banks that was investing, um, they needed to do, you know, the, the banks were like, we're going to cut off your credit. Like, this is a lot of investment we put into this stuff. And so they're like, well, this is during the depression. Yeah. And, and, um, and their production has run long, mm-hmm. it, you know, it was four years of production when it was supposed to be two. two and, and all those kinds of things over budget by double all, all of that. And right, the really. bank says like, we really like, we're not going to give you more credit, you know, unless we can see that this is going to be successful. And so like, okay, well, we'll send a couple representatives and things like that. And so they finally got it arranged. Um, and so one of the bank representatives came 
and they showed everything that they had, which in a lot of cases was the rough sketches that they were getting at in, in the sweat box even. Uh, and Walt was describing it all to him and giving him all the voices. And, you know, they were showing him the backgrounds that they did have. Um, and there was so much that wasn't done. <laughs> and, and Walt's just, like, trying to make this pitch and, and, you know, putting all his passion into it. And when it ends, the banker doesn't say anything. And he walks out and he gets to the car that, that's going to take him, you know, back away from, from the production office. And as he's, like, about to step in, he's like, oh, by the way that thing's going to make you a whole ton of money. And they, they, you know, backed him all the way to the, to the end of the production. Right. You know, with just that amount of, um, of demonstration that they could give the banker was clear on like, this is everything that Walt has promised it to be and more. (laughs) And so, yeah, we're going to keep funding you that you're going to make so much money off of this. Banger, and he was right. <laughs> but he obviously didn't know the plot holes about the dwarfs' lives and how they live there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> where, where are they buying their food? For well, a like, hold on, hold on. I need to know. Give me one shot, one pickup shot, where they're buying their food at least. Yeah. Which, yeah, I'm really curious, you know, what in that moment he saw that said, this is touching me in a way I yeah. didn't expect any, you know, an animated feature or maybe even films to be able to mm-hmm. touch me. And it's going to be wildly successful and everyone's going to get it. You know, like he's a wonderfully sensitive <laughs> investor to be able to spot all of that. Uh, I don't have anything else on, on this. Me either. Nope. I, I just really wanted to make sure we, we touched on the weird Orwellian dystopian. Yeah, that, that was the only note I, I wrote down. Yes. Uh, do you think she likes that they're afraid of her? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. That she, she, she gets some satisfaction out of that? Yeah, not just satisfaction, like raw joy out of okay. knowing her subjects fear her and assume that she is always watching them. Like, if she could, she's not, but if she just overhears every now and then a subject saying something like that. So she like, wants to be both feared and the most beautiful. Yeah. That feels like a tough combo. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say a rare combo, but I mean, right. uh, I mean, the beauty is subjective. The most feared, she's working for that. I mean, she's also working for Most Beautiful by apparently killing off every female <laughs> in her kingdom. <laughs> I mean, we don't, we don't know of anyone. Yeah, is is there any hint that Snow White is the only one she's ever killed? <laughs> like, when she asked this question, have there been uh, others in the past? She does have the box. Yeah, yeah, that box is ready for a heart. Yeah, and so I'm just wondering, maybe there used to be two dozen subjects. And, <laughs> <laughs> and we, we, like... We've talked about how there could have been more huntsmen, even even yes, before. Yes, the, the our, huntsman our... is familiar with some sort of punishment affixed to disobeying her, and we don't know what that is. Yeah, I <laughs> she, really... she says, "You know what happens to those who disobey me," mm. and he is okay. I will kill the little girl. Right, the only little girl left in this kingdom. <laughs> yeah, so it's okay. um, it's interesting, but that'll that'll do for today's minute. Where can people find your stuff, Joseph? Uh, you can go visit protagonistpodcast.com or just do a search for Protagonist Podcast in whatever app you're using to listen to this very podcast right now. And our website is protagonistpodcast.com slash dame. And we are, of course, in this podcast feed, whatever you're using to subscribe to it. Stay subscribed. Give us a review. Give us a rating. And share us with your friends. But until tomorrow, when we have more of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, just whistle while you work. 